there, I'm sure there's a lot, yeah, a lot of, I just, I was like searching other countries and it was different, I don't know, different news websites actually had quite a few. So I was like, I think these are legit. Some of them they were saying, they don't really follow them anymore. It's just kind of like on the books and I don't know, maybe it's just a funny thing. Like who's who's gonna know if you're reciting poetry while you're skiing? Right. <laughs> I guess if you're dumb enough to do it loud enough. <laughs> I'm not really sure about that one. So, <laughs> so here's my point with all of that is I think when you look at different laws, sometimes you can tell a lot by a government, um, by the type of laws that they have. I think you can tell a lot by our current government, by the type of things that they're passing, you know, and the type of things that they stand for. So um, when you look at those, you can often try and figure out or deem what is important or what is valuable to like that administration, you know, and I think the same is true here. So though we're not going to understand all of these laws, like why you can't, you know, put a goat, boil a goat in its mother's mouth, like that just doesn't make sense to us. Overall, we can still get a great picture of what is valuable to the Lord by looking at these laws. Um, and so that's gonna be our goal tonight. I'm not gonna have principles for you. We're just we're gonna actually make a list of all the ways that we can glimpse the heart of the Father tonight through his law. We're just gonna try and get to know him a little bit better. And I wanna tell you why this is so important, because the devil would love nothing more than to completely skew your view of God. He would absolutely love for you to have the wrong view of God. He does not want you interpreting God's heart through God's word. That's the last thing he wants you doing because then you're going to have an accurate accounting of who the Lord really is and you're, you're going to have trust in the true God then. He wants you interpreting God's heart through your circumstances. And that's often what we do. We often, oh, God is like this because of what's going on in my life. You know, oh, God isn't very nice because all these things are going on. Or God must not like me because all this stuff is going on. That's, that gets us down the wrong path very quickly. So tonight, I just want to kind of show up our faith a little bit. Like, this is who God is. This is the heart of the Father that we get to glimpse through the law. So if you want to make a little list, if you want to put, like, heart of the Father, make a cute little heart, whatever you want to do, we'll try and just, like, you know, catch different things as we kind of work our th way through these three passages. So the first one, I mean, you might be thinking, okay, that's great, but it's kind of hard to catch, like, see God's heart when the first thing you talk about is slavery, right? I mean, it's like, why did God start with slavery? And at the very end, I think we'll get to a reason why he actually started that way. But when you read it, it, it's not as bad as it maybe initially sounds. Now, we have to understand that slavery was already going on. It was just a part of their society. So he's addressing something that was already there. But what kind of slaves are we talking about here particularly? Anyone catch that? Hebrew slaves. Right. So this is not enslaving other foreign people. You know, this is Hebrew slaves, and there's some special things about this. So I'm going to actually read this portion about slavery um, just to kind of kick off these laws for us. So verse 2, chapter 21, when you buy a Hebrew slave, so there it is, there's the Hebrew. He, so this is more like an indentured servant, okay? It is slavery, but um, there's purpose behind it. 
it, it can be like a very helpful thing in society, okay? So when you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for six years. Then in the seventh, he is to leave as a free man without paying anything. If he arrives alone, he is to leave alone. If he arrives with a wife, his wife is to leave with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to her master and the man must leave alone. But if the slave declares, I love my master, my wife and my children, I do not want to leave as a free man. His master is to bring him to the judges and then bring him to the door or doorpost. His master will pierce his ear with an owl and he will serve his master for life. When a man sells his daughter as a concubine, she is not to leave as the male slaves do. If she is displeasing to her master, who chose her for himself, then he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has acted treacherously toward her. Or if he chooses her for his son, he must deal with her according to the customary treatment of daughters. If he takes an additional wife, he must not reduce the food, clothing, or marital rights of the first wife. And if he does not do these three things for her, she may leave free of charge without any payment. All right, a lot of this is very contrary to how we live in our society. And even the word slavery, you know, I mean, we don't like that word. It's, it has very bad connotations for our society. But reading through that, what do you guys see in this passage? How is this slavery different than the slavery that we would have seen here in the United States or even sex trafficking that's still going on today. There is still slavery. I'm not trying to be naive to that, even though we're not seeing it on day to day. How is this different? What'd you pick up on? This is like the help them out. This is to help them out. Yes. I think they're, they're bought, they're not stolen, they're not abducted, they're not. Yes. So it could also be voluntary, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, it's like an agreement. Yeah, shelter, food. Yes, so I would say the master is agreeing to take the person on. So probably in the, in, it's different for males and females. Females didn't have a lot of rights back then, so we do need to keep that in mind. And so the, what the Lord is doing in the paragraph about the females is really trying to protect them and give them some rights. Yeah, so I mean, if you were to just let a female go free on, after six years and then on the seventh year, like, what do you think would happen to her? She'd be, she'd be what? I read it. She'd be exploited. Exploited. Yeah. Yeah. She would yes. She wouldn't be able to take... Like a wife. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why the Lord did not allow females to go free, because it would have been a terrible situation for them yeah. had they been allowed to go free. So at first when you read it, it's like, oh, that's not fair. How come the girls don't get to go free? But he's really doing it out of a loving heart for his girls, you know? And that's like what my Bible study talked about, that this could be a way a poor family can make sure their daughters are taken care of. Yes. Yeah. Because they couldn't afford a wedding. Yeah, so a father, I mean, back then it was mostly arranged marriages. And so a father would maybe try and put his daughter into a wealthy family in the hopes of securing just prosperity for her and if the master himself didn't take her then hopefully a son would marry her so I know it sounds so contrary 
but that's what was happening. And so the Lord stepped into the situation and tried to create measures that would protect them at the same time. Any thoughts? Would that be the same reason why, like, if a man got to the point where he needed to ask to be somebody's slave, mm-hmm. why he wouldn't be able to take his wife and kids with him? If yeah. the master gave them, like, he wouldn't be able to support them? I was thinking more along the lines of, like, a single man. Like, like, if a single man came in. Yeah, but it, the one that confused me was... Because if he came with his wife, then they both go free. True. But it confused me a little about if if the master gave him a wife and like they started this family. Yeah. Then he then the decision is to either stay there forever or leave your family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. So would that have also maybe been a protection? Of it the might family? be. It might be mm-hmm. because maybe he wouldn't have been able to take care of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we're going to come back to that in a minute. There's a beautiful picture there for us that is really cool. I know, it kind of doesn't seem fair. Like, you gave me this wife and children. Like, why can't I take them with me, you know? And I would, I would say that what we're seeing here is that God is respecting all persons in this law. So he is respecting the rights of the master to his, let's go ahead and call it like property, okay? If he owned somebody or whatever. But also, he's respecting just the rights of people in general. And I think I would say that the master would have the right to just let them go if he wanted to. But he also has the right to keep them if he's the one that gave them to him. I don't know. How's that sound to you guys? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Like, some of these laws, we're just not going to be able to fully understand. Just like why we, that's why we read that crazy list of laws to begin with. Like, you know, we're not, we can't understand all the whys behind it. That's why we're diving in to see God's heart behind it. So, so far, I think we see God's love for his daughters. Mm-hmm. I think that really come, comes out. I mean, I just love that they're, they're supposed to go free after this, at the seventh year. Like, this is not slavery forever. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a, there's a point in time in which this person who has come to work for you needs to go free. And write down, if you want, um, Deuteronomy... 15, 12, and 13, and 14. So Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 14 kind of goes into a little bit more detail of what that's supposed to look like when you let your slave go free. It says, when you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. So you get the idea of like, don't just let him go free, but like give him all, love your neighbor as yourself, right? We're going to see that over and over in the law. Give him everything he needs to get back on the right foot. He has served you faithfully, and now give him all, provide everything he needs. That's contrary to culture. But there's the heart of the father to provide. You see God's heart there to provide for those who are in need. Help them get back on their feet, right? What does God want to do for us? He wants to help us get back on our feet, succeed against temptation, whatever it might be. It makes me think of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Yes. How he cares for those who are weak and mild and yeah. poor. Absolutely. 
he cares for, just like this. He is, so he is the most loving master. And can, okay, so can you imagine a society where the goal is that the master treats his servants so well that they never want to leave? Like that was really the goal here. The master was to love those servants as himself and treat them in such a way that they never wanted to leave. I can't imagine that though, like that level of love. And yet that is exactly what Amy's describing. Like that's what God has done for us. He's been such a loving master that we never want to leave. We want to stay forever and not go anywhere. That's, the, that's a really cool picture of God. So, go ahead. It's cool, too, that they were going to be set free on in the seventh year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we rest on the seventh day. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Talks about you know, God is easier with numbers. Yeah. He's always trying things together with numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was, I was thinking of the creation, and that's been my side notes of that from seventh day. I love that. Yeah. I love so that. It's crazy mm-hmm. how much the man is so mm-hmm. perfect. God of order. Yes, mm-hmm. and his reason for these numbers and mm-hmm. these times, it's crazy. Yes, he's got a perfect timing. Yeah. I have to remind myself of that a lot. He's not the God of my timing. He's the God of perfect timing. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, okay, so a couple other things I want to mention here. I specifically want to point out 2116. It says, whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death. So he, this, this right here shuts down any sort of slavery as we've known it. You cannot sell people. Like God is saying, that's not what he is advocating here at all. So anyone who is kidnapped, uh, whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession, you, you put that person to death. You, you, you kill them uh, for taking someone against their own will. And then if, as you look down through there, verse 20 um, talks about when a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies, then the owner must be punished. So again, you, you see that God is a respecter of persons. He wants all people treated with respect would be another thing that we would see from God's heart. And then if you go down a little farther, kind of talks about it again. Verse 26 says, when a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. So one thing we need to keep in mind is these are examples. So the who was using the Book of the Covenant? Yes, they took it very seriously, but these are like kind of like judicial court cases that have already been established for Israel's leaders to determine different situations so just they're just giving an example so that they have something to go off of you know what I mean so like when I went through my real estate courses the my teacher was always throwing out all these court cases well this is why we have this law blah 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 blah. it goes back to that so this was for Israel's leaders to be able to go okay God said that if if um, if a master struck his slave and then they were um, hurt forever, they needed to be able to go free. That they could look at this and then determine how they needed to make a judgment. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then by doing that, you're worshiping God because they're following. Exactly. Verse 9. Yeah. yeah, his commands. Yeah, his laws, his ordinances, his judgments, however you. I think that word can be interchangeable. Um, yes, 
And they're trying to follow God by doing that and be godly leadership. We know how easy it is for leadership to be ungodly. So he's trying to set a standard here for them to be able to follow. And the, the another one that I, I thought was interesting, if you jump down to verse 32, it says, if the ox gores a male or female slave, he must give 30 shekels of silver to the slave's master, and the ox must be stoned. So it is people, even slaves, over animals. Yes. <laughs> Very clearly in the law. Animals and people are not on the same playing field as much as we love them. It is humanity and life, people who are made in God's image over an, an ox or an animal or anything. So now, <clears throat> okay, um, here's the picture that I, I, do, I don't want to pass up, though. I want us to see this. If we go back and think about what happened then, we kind of already mentioned it, but what happened to the servant who wanted to stay with the master because his wife and children belonged to the master? What did they do? What was the process for that? He pierced his ear. He pierced his ear. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they would go before the judges. The master would take him and to the door, the doorpost, and pierce his ear. Now, mm -hmm. he had to say, I love you. He had, yes, to he had to vocalize it too, right? He might have. Let me see here. Yes. And I he will. Say, I love my master, my wife, and my children. Mm -hmm. I will not go through. So yes. He, he has to establish it first. He declares it. Yes. Okay. Let's think about a couple things here. Jesus is very clearly a servant, is he not? He is described as a servant in scripture. Very clearly in Isaiah 42, he is described as a suffering servant. Isn't that it, suffering servant, Isaiah 42? Or at least in, I don't know if it's the suffering servant there. But Philippians 2, he's also described as a servant. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Christ was very clearly a servant. And what did he declare? Love for us. Mm -hmm. Love for his bride. Who's the bride? The church. Us, the body of Christ. He declared his love for us. And he is the servant. So Psalm 40, write these two verses down. Psalm 46. And then Hebrews 10, 5. Psalm 46 and Hebrews 10, 5. So in Psalm 46, David says, but it's actually, it's messianic. It's talking about Jesus. But he says, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. And that open ear can be translated, ears you have dug for me. So what God is after, what's God after? Our obedience, our heart, our following of him. We know that that's what he wants more than sacrifices on the altar. He wants us. And so this verse is then applied to Jesus in Hebrews 10.5. But instead of saying open ear, it said, Jesus says there, but a body you have prepared for me. A body. So in full surrender and obedience... His body was pierced, not at the doorpost, but at the cross for his bride so that he could stay and be with us forever. Is that cool? Cool. Does everybody get that? I have chills right now. So 
cool. He loved us so much that he's, no, don't just, it's not just my ear, it's my whole body. Here's my whole body so I can be with them forever. So I can always stay with them. So cool. So now you see how, you know, at first we were like, oh, that verse is so unfair. And now we look at that verse and we're like, that verse is so cool. (laughs) Because he fulfilled that verse. He fulfilled that verse for us. All week this week, I really enjoyed thinking through each of these laws and then thinking about how Christ fulfilled them. You know, it's one thing to think, oh, yeah, he fulfilled the law. And then it's another thing to, like, look at these laws and be like, whoa, he really did fulfill that law completely and wholly. I mean, even that one about staying with his master forever and having himself pierced so that he could stay with us. Yeah, go ahead. What? I think it's just like a rod. So does it just stay there? Is there a hole? I think it's like a hole. Wouldn't it like be a like cow, a cattle tag or something? I think like I'm trying to visualize it. Like That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm imagining it's something sharp, you know, to go through your ear. Mm-hmm. Pain. Right. Yeah. I know. But. great thing for any employer to look at and be like treat my employees so well that they never want to leave yes you know that'd be a great takeaway for today's society yeah cool i love that jenna very cool any other thoughts on this all right all right okay moving on the next section then uh i've really looked at that as like chapter 21 verse 33 and then halfway through verse halfway through the next chapter so it went to like verse 15 i would consider that the next section so it'd be 21 33 through 22 15 and there's one particular word or it's just a couple words but i picked out one and it should be your answer to pay on page 37 question one if you answered it yes i heard it what was it restitution that is what kept coming up in this section of the law restitution and that means give appropriate compensation for something or you could say equivalent compensation fairness yeah so what do you think this would show israel about god's heart just what you said he is fair yeah that's another thing that they would glean from this about the Father's heart. He is, he, he is fair. We see this pop up um, in verse 33 when it's talking, and obviously the, these things are kind of hard for us to grasp, but when a man covers a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit must give compensation. So these are not scenarios that we really come up against on a day-to-day basis, but I think we can fully understand the idea of compensation 
Like we've probably all been wronged before where we want to be compensated in the right way. Um, again, then in verse 36, we see compensate fully comes up. If you jump down to um, chapter 22, and it's talking about laws about thieves. In verse 3, it says, a thief must make full restitution. And I put a little note in my Bible that said, what if we made prisoners make full restitution? <laughs> like, how could that change society? If instead of just incarcerating them, we make them make it right, however that is, whatever that looks like, you'd actually have to take responsibility for what you did wrong. That's an interesting thought to think about. I think there'd be less crime. I think there'd be less crime too. Yeah, God knew what he was doing, right, when he made all these laws. You can see some of his brilliance behind it. Um, yeah, another thing that I read is that there would be accountability within, like, the family. Because if you look at um, the, uh, uh, is that what I was looking at? How would a thief, yeah, how would he be able to pay back, if you look at verse 1, chapter 22, when a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. So how is he going to be able to afford that? Well, his family would have to step in and probably help. Right? So there would be maybe a little bit of accountability there because your family might hold you accountability because they don't want to have to pay out five cattle. <laughs> they don't want to have to pay out four sheep. Like, that is just money, like, you know, flying out the window. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thought also. Um, let's see here. Now, what generally happens in a relationship? This is on page 37. What generally happens in a relationship when restitution is not made? Oh, yeah, bitterness. Anger. Yes. What, Kayla? Death of the relationship. Death of the relationship. It's so true. It is so hard to be in a relationship with somebody when restitution was not made when the appropriate compensation was not made. Mm -hmm. Now, what we do about that, that's hard, you know, because, okay, that our individual responsibility, I think, is to love our neighbor as ourself. Mm -hmm. And yet, we know that these things are good. So there is a fine balance there where I think it's great if you're in a situation like this to seek godly counsel and try and figure out okay, how do I move forward in either encouraging this person to make restitution with me or, okay, they are unwilling and so now I need to protect my heart um, against this. And that can, be, that can be really hard. Now, is this the part where it's, yeah, is this the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Is that in here? Oh, that was before. I didn't talk about that part. Okay, well, I think this is, this is, it, this fits in nicely here also. So if you go back up and you look at verse 23 in chapter 21, that's where the Lord says, if there's an injury, then you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. It was actually kind of fun. Say it again. That is called, the famous word for that is, I think I'm saying this right, lex taliones. I know. <laughs> oh, no. 
act like I know something up here. <laughs> and what that means is that the punishment must fit the crime. That's the idea behind that. The punishment is to fit the crime. So um, this, it's, it's, the idea is not to go and cut people's hands off. That's not really what they wanted to do. This ensured that there was proper punishment for the offender while also protecting the offender from being unjustly punished. That was the idea behind this. So I'll give you an example. There would be no million dollar lawsuits for spilled cups of hot McDonald's coffee in Israel. Exactly. Okay, that's what, that's what Lex Talionis is talking about. Is, right? She's a little irritated. So maybe you would get a free cup of coffee. And I'm very sorry, if you went to the hospital, maybe you get your medical bills paid. You know? Burn for burn. Did you know that that lady tried just to get that McDonald's to pay for her medical bills that she had? Because she really did have serious third degree burns. I didn't know that. And they refused to pay it. And it was proven that they were keeping the coffee hotter than they were supposed to. Wow. And, and so, like, it just spiraled out of control from her voice. Interesting. But well, that doesn't surprise she me. She just wanted them to pay the medical bills. Good for her. Yeah. There you go, Shay. Just wanted her medical bills paid. Hey, my, the bottom of mine says, I like to outward, but a punishment too, wait a minute. A punishment too harsh is unfair. And one too lenient is powerless to teach. Mm. Yeah. So wow, I ask, love that. Ask God for wisdom before you judge. Say that last part again. One mm -hmm. un one too lenient is powerless to teach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is good. Yeah. We can all think about any mothers in here with children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, we're like I'd be like, all right, is this powerless to teach? Like, is your punishment actually doing anything? That's good. <laughs> I know. Don't bang your head. It's okay. We're here for you. That's the idea behind that. But, okay, if you then go to Matthew, we know that Jesus states that very verse in uh, Matthew 5, when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 38 and 39, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't <coughs> resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your <coughs> shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So how do you put these two together? I think that's a really good question. Any thoughts on that? Before I share my thought, you're all like, just go ahead and share what you're thinking. <laughs> I think it's not taking it out of control. I think, I think it's easy, as we see, like the Pharisees, and they get so wrapped up in the law, they forget that they're dealing with people, and it's about mm. the heart. It's yeah. our heart and our obedience that way. Not so much just And I think you hit the nail on the head by saying it's about the heart. So Jesus is talking to individuals. 
He is talking to us individually, and so he's speaking to our hearts. So he's talking about, yeah, how should we respond in that situation? That's what he's talking about. If you go back to the book of the law, remember, these are judgments. So this is for leadership. So it's as if Jesus is addressing the individual, whereas the book of the covenant here is addressing the culture, the leadership. How do So it's very different. How they respond in a situation needs to be eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You know, when you go, to, you know, if you're in, if you're on a jury, has anyone ever been on a jury that like you had to deliberate and no. I don't really want to be. I've never been called for jury duty. Yeah. Okay, if I get the letter, I'm signed up for jury duty. Did you just get one? Yes. Today. No, yeah. seriously. Oh wow, mine's coming. I'm sure it is. Now that I said that, but the jury needs to keep in mind eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? They need to keep that in mind. Whereas the individual who is sitting there being sued, their responsibility is their heart and how they're going to respond in this situation, keeping themselves from bitterness, um, you know, okay, being giving, turning the other cheek, letting go, not holding on. That's their responsibility. So we see that the leadership or the jury, the judges have a different responsibility than the individual. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's how you put the two together. Like we're we are to be holy, like God is holy. We're set apart. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. And so our it's just kind of like asking us to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Right. Exactly. Yes. And so then we show the excellencies of Christ like we're supposed to as a royal priesthood. Mm-hmm. This is getting good. When we do that. Exactly well, with right. With the hat on. With the hat on that says holy to God. Absolutely. And he and Jesus tells us to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. There's there's no end to the amount of times we're supposed to forgive. Absolutely. Seven times, seventy yeah. times. And just look what he's done. Mm-hmm. There's no end to the amount of times that he's forgiven us mm-hmm. or every you know, every believer ever in the entire world. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Make sense? Okay. I don't even know where I am anymore. Just having fun up here. <laughs> Anything else that we see about the heart of the Father so far? What are we gain? Oh, what if, have you, any other thoughts you're having in that? Take responsibility for your actions. We've talked about fairness, I think. Um, he wants us to be people of integrity. I think that for sure. If you've done something wrong, he wants us to fess up to it. If you break someone's shovel, he wants you to buy him a new shovel. You know, do that kind of stuff. Uh, okay, I'm going to move on then. 
Next, we go into, turn over to 2216. We have laws about seduction. We have some crazy capital offenses, like verse 19. Whoever has sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so right there, it's, it's saying sorcery, bestiality, and idolatry are all capital offenses in Israel's uh, nation, and they were to be put to death. So God is for the death penalty on certain things. That is very clear when you read through this. So what do they mean by sorceress? I think it's anyone who is trying to, like, witchcraft type thing or, like, seek the spirits. And there was a lot of that, I'd say, in their pagan culture, you know, as they were going into the promised land. And they didn't get rid of Hivites, Jebusites, whatever, all the ites. They didn't get rid of them like they were supposed to. <laughs> and they ended up living among them and intermarrying with them. They did not keep these at all. And, I mean, they, and they didn't follow these capital offenses because, like, verse 20 says, <clears throat> whoever sacrifices to any gods except the Lord alone is to be set apart for destruction. Well, God, <clears throat> excuse me, did set Israel apart for destruction as a whole, didn't, didn't he? They were kicked out of the promised land eventually. And, he, and many of them were just destroyed. Um, but they did not follow that law. They served Baal. And I would say there was a lot, probably a lot of sorcery kind of stuff that went on. And they did not keep that as a capital offense. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. They were teaming up with the devil, not God. Yes. Wrong side. Wrong side. I looked it up in a dictionary and it said, Oh, I need to Google it. Oops. Duck, duck, go it, Amy. <laughs> the use of magic, especially black magic. Okay. Whatever black magic is. Witchcraft. Bad. Yeah. Witchcraft. Yeah. Witchcraft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the time frame from the Ten Commandments to what? What's being delivered now? Oh, I think it's it. So um, Moses went up on the mountain yeah. to receive the this part. Remember, so Israel Israel got the, they received the Ten Commandments from God yes. and then they're like, we don't want to hear his voice anymore. Yes. You go you go hear the rest of it and then tell us what he says. And so I think Moses is on the mountain right now receiving this and I, I, I don't know, is he up there 40 days this time? I'm not sure if it tells us how long he's up there. But then in, in chapter 24 next week He's going to come back and tell them all of these things, and they're going to agree to it. Okay. So it's all fairly quick, like okay. whether it's a matter of weeks or days at this point, I'm not sure. Okay. Maybe that'll be more clear to me as I study this week. Um, We're just looking at some of these things. It's like, okay, he just told us that in Ten Commandments. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> yeah, you can. Okay, what's the time frame? Maybe this is longer than it seems. So you get the Ten Commandments, which is like the... You know, that's the ten words, that's the... Mm -hmm. it, and then this really breaks out how those ten commandments work in society. Sure. And kind of like what they look like in society. And again, how judges are supposed to judge, make judgments. Good question. Um, okay. Now, I love um, his protection for the vulnerable in verses 21 through 27. 
I mean, the Lord does not mess around. In verse 22, he says, You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will burn, and I will kill you <laughs> with the sword. <laughs> then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. He done messed around. He didn't just say put to death. He was like, I'm going to get angry. <laughs> yes, he's directly, I will kill you yes. if you mistreat a widow or a child. Look at the heart of the father there. How much he wants them cared for. How much he wants you cared for. I love seeing that. And I love how he ends it in verse 27. He says, I will listen because I am gracious. So he tells us right there what his heart is. His heart is very gracious. I am gracious. That's the heart of the Father. And I love that smack dab in the middle of the law, God declares himself gracious. You know, like he knew we were going to break all of these. He knew that Israel was never going to follow all this. So in the very middle of it, he's reminding us that he's gracious. That's pretty cool. All right. So when I read um, the first part of chapter 23, I just had to stop for a little bit. I could not get past. And I'm reading out of the CSB tonight. Okay. Is that why it's different? Yeah, if you've noticed, it's different. And that's because I spent so much time, like, writing and highlighting this book of the covenant that I was like, I can't talk out of my other Bible. I need to be able to see my markings. So I, in my personal quiet time, I've been using a CSB Bible and it's like the new thing. Okay. I jumped on the bandwagon, (laughs) but I actually really like it. So it does have some, I feel like simpler words um, when I compare it to the ESV. So ESV is still great, and I still love my ESV study Bible. Um, but the, the, if it's re- reading different, that's why. It's CSB. Anyway, I could not get past at the very beginning of chapter 23. It says, okay, verse 1, You must not spread a false report. Do not join the wicked to be a malicious witness. And then verse 2, You must not follow a crowd in wrongdoing. That's how the CSB states it. How's, you, how's the ESV state it? Verse 2. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness to lawsuit, siding with the many so as to justice. Yes. Yeah. So, you, yeah. This felt clearer to me. You must not follow a crowd in wrongdoing. But I was just thinking about today and, like, the last couple of years and how many times that there's been, like, riots and just people following a crowd and wrongdoing. So that got me thinking about that. And then as I continued to read through this section of verses, I started thinking about the crucifixion with these verses in mind. So that's what we're gonna do real quick because this is also pretty cool, all right? Uh, Okay, so I want you guys to think about Jesus's trial and the crucifixion as I read you these things. So let's go back to verse one. You must not spread a false report. What were the people doing? False reports about who Jesus was. Do not join the wicked to be a malicious witness. They were joining together to be a malicious witness against Jesus. Then verse 2, you must not follow a crowd in wrongdoing. 
What were they doing again? Crucify him, crucify him. They were just following the crowd. Yes, us in wrongdoing. Do not testify in a lawsuit and go along with the crowd to pervert justice. That's exactly what was happening. Um, okay, now take a break from that. And now verse four, it says, if you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you must return it to him. This is your enemy's donkey. You come across it, you must return it to him. What is Jesus doing in the midst of this malicious crowd? He is keeping these laws, not necessarily returning our donkeys, but he's returning life to us. He is being kind and compassionate. He is keeping verse four in the middle of this, uh, you know, in everything he's going through, he is so kind to his enemies. It goes on in verse five. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you lying helpless under its load and you want to refrain from helping it, you must help with it. Jesus fulfilled the law again. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in the donkey context, but the spirit of the law is he helped his enemies. Mm -hmm. He saw us laying there helpless, unable to save ourselves, and he knew I must help them. So again, he fulfills the law in this context. Okay, then we move on to verse 6. Um, actually, let's, let's jump to verse 7. It says, stay far away from a false accusation. And then it says, do not kill the innocent. And what did they do? They killed the innocent. They killed Jesus. Do not kill the innocent and the just. And then God says, because I will not justify the guilty. And yet, what did he do for us? He justifies the guilty mm -hmm. through the blood of Christ. So here he says, I won't do it. But if you turn to Romans 4, or I'll read it for you. I thought I marked that one. Maybe I didn't. Romans 4, 5 is the reference you want to write down. God says there, I will, let's, let me read it actually, because I didn't actually write it down. Romans 4, 5. I've been spending a lot of time in Romans lately, too, because that's what the guys have been doing yeah. Friday mornings. <laughs> yeah. So Romans 4, 5 says, But to the one who does not work... So this is talking about working for your faith. We don't work for our faith, right? It's all... So if you go back up in the context of chapter 3, that's what you see. You don't gain faith by works. So to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly... There it is. So he does justify the ungodly, for our faith is credited to us as righteousness in Christ. So God said, I'm not going to do it, and yet he did it through Jesus. Isn't that cool? I thought that was neat. Right there, smack dab in the middle of the gospel, in the gospel, in the law, you get the gospel. Again, we saw Jesus, you know, in the slavery form of just piercing his body to be able to stay with his bride. And now we see it here in him being killed. He fulfilled the law, but they killed the innocent. And he was the innocent one. And God said, I will not justify the guilty. And yet that is exactly what he does for us through Christ. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. 
And then what comes after that declaration of the gospel, even though it's very hidden, even though it's something that only we know because we get to see the complete story, what comes next then in the book of the law is rest, worship, and celebration. And I don't think it's an accident that it's written that way. That after you get this declaration of the gospel that we're able to see in there, we get the next section of it that talks about the three feasts that they were to keep and the rest that they were to have. And the rest is there because they're to trust God for their provision. That's one reason why he required them to rest. He wanted them to always, when we work all the time, what is our tendency? Not to trust God. I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do it. But when we stop and rest, we are much more dependent on God. So that's one reason why that's, that's in there. That's one reason why he wanted Israel so faithfully keeping the Sabbath. All right. Let me see here. All right. Anything? Am I going too fast? Anything we haven't discussed that you're like, I want to talk about this? Okay. Now, with these feasts, I haven't really talked about the feasts a whole lot, but he names three different feasts in this section of the law right here. And here's what is cool about this. This was new to me this week also. So first we have the Passover, which we talked about last semester. And right after the Passover, you get the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So those two are connected. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread is for a week right after Passover. And so 50 days after that, which I think puts it like, I feel like seven weeks after that, then comes the next feast, which here is called the Festival of Harvest, but it's also called the Feast of Weeks. Also has that name. Okay. Now what's cool is that Christ's crucifixion corresponds with Passover. He was the Passover lamb. And so I just think it's neat that then you have that Feast of Unleavened Bread and what is happening during that Feast of Unleavened Bread? Jesus is, like, maybe fighting the devil. I don't know. So that we can be free from sin forever. And then he raises, he raises from the dead in the middle of that Feast of Unleavened Bread. What a picture. You know, just think about that timing. Because the Feast of Unleavened Bread pictured, like, they're coming out of Israel or out of Egypt they're going to sin no more. They're going to be a free people in God. And then, and then think about the visual of the timing of that happening during Christ's resurrection. Okay? Now, after that then, um, 50 days later, is when Pentecost took place, when the Holy Spirit came. That corresponds with the Feast of Weeks. Okay? It is the same. So... Look at the similarities between the very first Feast of Weeks, which took place at Mount Sinai, when the law was being given. This, so the very first Feast of Weeks was here at Mount Sinai. Okay, And then think about the Feast of Weeks that took place after Christ, the true Passover lamb, was crucified. Think about that one in similarities. All right, There was fire again when the tongues of fire during that feast of weeks came down on the people. It talks about that. When the Holy Spirit first came down, there was tongues of fire, but, and there was fire at Mount Sinai, right? So I want you to, I'm kind of drawing a, trying to draw a picture of 
the Feast of Weeks that's happening here at Mount Sinai and the very first Feast of Weeks that took place after Christ's crucifixion. It's almost like a starting over and the Holy Spirit is coming down and there's these similarities. There is fire again. There is a violent wind. Kind of like we've had like, you know, it was like a storm at Mount Sinai and there was shaking. And then there's also another writing of the law. What's happening in this very first Feast of Weeks? The law is being written. And what happened at that Feast of Weeks? The law was being written on their hearts because the Holy Spirit was coming into their heart. And God was fulfilling the Jeremiah prophecy, which we talked about in our uh, foundations class yesterday, that he would write the law on their hearts. So do you see that? Do you see how that corresponds, that timing? So here the law is being written on tablets of stone during the very first feast of weeks. There, the law in the very first one after Christ's crucifixion was being written on their hearts. So the, the cool thing is just the timing. That's what's so cool about that. Does that make sense? Okay. What's that? Yeah, I, I know. I don't want you guys being confused. So what does that offer us about God's heart? You guys see anything there? I mean, we put a lot together. Again, I just see him being so gracious in writing the word. You know, well, his timing, we talked about that, but him writing his, his law onto our hearts, how he timed all of this out so perfectly, even the law, which can be so condemning. <coughs> you just see how he had a plan all along to make sure all of this was fulfilled so perfectly because he knew that we wouldn't be able to fulfill it. I also just love how he told them to celebrate. Like he put it in their law to stop and celebrate his goodness and his provision. I think God enjoys it when we get together and have fun and praise him and thank him for his provision and just be his people. Like, I think he loves that. It's also good to just stop and remember. Yes. You know, just to remember what he has done and to be thankful and grateful. Absolutely. Yes. Because when we don't, that's when we really get sidetracked really quickly. You know, Lord, my heart is prone to wander. And it, it truly is. And that's one of those things that he's, uh, those protections he's put in place for us is like, get together on Sundays. Meet with these people. Be in accountability with these people so that you won't wander, so you won't stray. And that's what he's doing here for Israel and saying, three times a year, you need to come and be a people together. All of, well, it says all of your males need to come. Now, why do you think that would be and not the females? I don't know, but I was guessing that maybe it's because might be the females could be pregnant, might be hard for them to travel. And I, again, I just see God's heart for the ladies. You know, like they don't need to go. They can if they want to, but they don't have to. Maybe they're... It shows God's design for our marriage and yes. our household that our men are spiritual leaders. And so it Absolutely. gives them like, you have to be there twice if you feel like you can, great, but I would love that. I designed you to take care of the household, so I want you to do what you're designed to do too. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So true. 
And I highlighted in verse 15, at the end of verse 15, it says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. And I just thought that was kind of neat. Like, they were to come, and I, get, I think that is actually speaking still of, well, it's Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But I just kind of thought about how often we come into church just wanting the church to give, give, give to us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just come into my house, but don't come empty-handed. Like, come willing to give. Mm-hmm. Not just monetarily, but like your time, your presence, you know, just your love. Just come into my house willing to give to, to the body of Christ. That was pretty cool. Um, all right, we got to close this out. This last section then is all, he closes with promises and also some warnings. So, and it talks about the angel in verse 20. He says, I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. So who is this? we have it every week somewhere this has to be jesus because he's the only one who has the ability to forgive sins that's a dead giveaway also the fact that god says my name is in him so this is jesus all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him now look back at verse 20 again so clearly this is christ and he is with them. My, I'm going to send my angel, Jesus, before you to protect you on the way. He is with you. And where is he taking them? What's it say? To bring you to, so Jesus, okay, get this, guys. Jesus is taking them to the place that God has prepared. What does that remind you of? Does that make you think of anything? Well, the promised land. Yes, yes, but it also reminds me, yes, taking me to the promised land, of how Jesus told us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I will come back and get you and take you to be where I am. That's in John 14, 1 through 3, where he says, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if we're not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I just thought it was so cool that here God is like, okay, Jesus is going to lead you into the promised land, into the place that I prepared for you. And then what does Jesus tell us? I am with you always, even till the end of, the the end of the ages. And when I come for you, I'm going to take you to the place that I have prepared for you. So that's cool stuff right there. Even though we can't claim the same material promises that the Israelites were given here, um, the outcome for all who follow God is the same. He will safely bring us into the place that he has prepared for us. Just as he promised Israel, he's really given, given us the same promise where we will be with him forever. So here's God's heart right here to bring us to himself. That really sums up his heart. This law is written so we can find him, so we can see our sin, so we can realize our need for him. God's heart is to bring us to himself, to bring us into the place that he's prepared for us, the place where bread and water are blessed, the place where illnesses are gone, 
there's no more miscarriages. Like, we can't claim those promises, but the idea is the same. He's going to, look how he's, he's promising to bring Israel into a place where there's no illness, there's, there's abundant provision, and where is he going to bring us into? The place where every tear is dried up. There's no illness. There is abundant provision. We have those same promises in eternity. And that's, I think, why we see them promised here, because it's a picture of what God is going to do for us in the end, for everyone.